0: Welcome back to the Blog Boy Roundtable, a post bowl game season, most bowl game edition, uh, first edition into the new year. And happy new year to all the blog boys here. I am joined by Nathan Bond and Robert C of the Bay Area Examiner. And Nick Simon of DraftKings Network. Uh, first general thoughts on bowl season thus far. Um Anything? Anything stand out? I guess outside of the
1: playoff games, to you guys, and you can see how the uh, I- at least the earlier cycle of transfer portal and firing coaches and you know schools trying to get a, a one leg up has has kind of caused some issues with bowl games, especially for you know a school who might have gotten their head coach poached or something like that, because you know you'll you'll see a team that. Rolled all year long, and then all of a sudden their coach is gone, and then just giving an uninspiring performance to end the season. So, you know, if anyone did like the uh, the Capital One Bowl challenge where you had to do like a confidence picker of you know, <laughs> which kids you felt I don't know how you were able to do it, you know, with certainty because it, it felt like it was just a massive crapshoot at times. Yeah, I mean, you had one game,
0: I think Duke and Troy played, right? And so you had both interim head coaches you didn't have the coach there and yeah the timing of the portal being before bowl season obviously makes it a little bit tougher um nick kind of any any general thoughts on on the bowl season I, there's been a lot of talk about needing to fix it but do you have any kind of thoughts on on where we are in bowl season
2: yeah the new year six the non-playoff new year six games was just a complete letdown for the reasons that you were Talking about, like, I, I mean, even before I go in on the Orange Bowl, um, like the Cotton Bowl between Ohio State and Missouri, like, it's like, come on, man. Like, like that actually looked like a pretty interesting matchup. Like, okay, understand that Ohio State's going to have some opt-outs, but... This shit still should be a pretty good, like pretty good game, and it was not.
0: The odd part is there weren't like a crazy amount of opt outs in the game, but there were some important ones, but not like you know ten like we've seen in other games. There's a few guys here and there, but that game was kind of weird. Weird,
2: just a weird flat game. Shout out to Missouri for pulling for pulling it out. And then just the just the orange just the orange bowl like was just like I I said it all over social media and this in Discord like that was just a complete disgrace to the orange bowl like listen I know we've geared everything towards the playoff and everything I get it but it's like yo it's it's the orange bowl man it's 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 a central pillar of in the history of the sport and. Florida, like I get it, like Florida State, you got screwed over, you got left out of the playoff, but just completely no show, the Orange Bowl dog, like come on.
0: I thought it was interesting. I heard Bud Elliott say today on the Cover Three show that if they got invited to a non-Orange Bowl game, they were gonna, they might have just opted out of the whole, just opted the whole team out of the game because uh, I guess they have some alums on the Orange Bowl committee, so they didn't want to make them look bad and so they accepted the invite but apparently they were thinking about just not taking a, an invite uh to another game which i don't know like I, I understand the player empowerment stuff but uh i think it's a tough thing to come florida uh, in 2020 basically punted on the on the cotton Bowl after they lost alabama kind of got their hearts broken thought if they beat alabama they'd get in the playoff possibly and that was basically the beginning of the end for Dan Mullen. They, they punted on that after that. The culture kind of deteriorated and I don't know, man. It just seems like there's got to be consequences to these type of decisions, right? Again, Culturally.
2: Man, again, man, it's the Orange Bowl. Like It, it still means...
0: It is. a the- story. Before there was New Year's Six, there was the Big Four Orange Sugar uh, Fiesta and Rose. And those were like and this is obviously when you would decide
3: the national championship after the bowl game. The national champion played in the orange bowl a lot. Oh yeah. When did they the first title in the orange bowl?
4: I got a hot take. The Let's orange bowl sucks. <laughs> Historically. It's been terrible. Like you've no. seen so many laughers over the last 10 years in that orange bowl. Well, that's like, since that, the new year that, six came about, I think what was it? The West Virginia Clemson game that someone put up 70 points. Like it's just been a complete laugher. Here's the thing. We're going to talk about changes, right. About what to fix the bowl games. Next year, they're going to be fixed. All of these games are going to be playoff games or at least most of them will be playoff sites so that will fix the important and you know for the if you guys are watching on youtube doing air quotes here the important bowl games but i mean there's what 50 bowl games 40 40 some odd bowl games like not all of them can matter like that's just the fact of life i the thing that i took away from bowl season was I didn't know that like six and six ACC teams were like that hard to play against, except for like, Like, I wasn't expecting six and six ACC teams to kind of take out some pretty good teams. Um, so that was interesting to see. Uh, but Steve, to your point, man, if your coach left or you got post or fired it, I think this year more than ever, it was really a, okay, there's definitely one team that wants to be here. And then there's another team that wants to do literally anything else with this. And that just seemed like the case over and over again during these bowl games.
0: And, and that's what Golish said, right? He's that was his message to the team. There's always uh USF head coach, Alex Goldish. There's always, there's two teams in these bowl games, ones that come here to win and ones that are just coming here to enjoy themselves and have a vacation. Um, and, yeah, we saw, we saw some one, two, three Cancun's in this bowl season. Um, but let's get into that. Like, do you think the playoff fixes it? First of all, is there really an issue? Because I, I see people saying, you know, the bowl games are deteriorating, all these things. They put out the ratings for all the New Year's Six game. The Florida State-Georgia game rating was, like, the best of the Orange Bowl in a long time like people are still watching these things yeah, so they're not going to pay anybody to play i don't think because of the ratings it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't
4: matter yeah it, so. like these opt-outs don't matter people are still going to watch college football it's just a fact of life that we're going to have to live with um yeah you know, i i saw someone on twitter um, I think it might have been Joey Knight at the Tampa Bay Times, kind of like, when did this kind of start happening? And I always kind of look back at the Jalen Smith injury where he basically just wrecked his leg. And then obviously Jake Butt and then Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette opting out, not affecting their draft stock. I mean, if you're a top caliber player, why do you want to play in the Bahamas Bowl? Like, what? There is no upside. You have all the downside. I think. Uh, there was a couple, I think Stephen Bench, former USF quarterback said it on Twitter as well. Like, uh, so you're telling me one game is going to outweigh everything that you, all of everything that you've done for that program over four years. It's just opting out of the final game of your final game of that, your junior or senior year, because you've have eyes on the NFL and you don't get hurt. I think we're, I think we're being farcical about it. I, um, I Go ahead. Go on, Seth. No, go on, Seth. You're the. I was host gonna say,
0: I'm, not, I'm. I'm just the guy that talks first. Uh, I, I think it's all. Under, I think like individually, it's understandable. I still don't think it's great. Like I, I would much rather a guy. And here's a, it's kind of this tying in with the transfer portal. You're seeing a bunch of older players, like into older players, and this is going to make all of us feel really old when I say this guy's an older player, Antonio Cromartie. I don't know if you saw him on Twitter, basically talking about all these guys, like they basically, he had a blown out knee and he was trying to play in the bowl game because he wanted to play with his team one last time. Um, it's become a lot more transactional, right. In college football. And that's kind of where we're headed until I think we get to more like we're sharing money. So you're staying here on a contract type thing, which seems exceptionally transactional, but I think it'll (laughs) engender more like guys staying around. Um, so, yeah, it's – but it's really – people don't care if it's outside the big games, I think, is really is really what's going to happen. You know, I think right. we were talking about it beforehand, and I I think we, I, we were kind of saying, hey, if FSU gets left out, all these
3: – none of these dudes are playing. So why would you? So if you're, you know, if you're Keon Coleman, what do you care? you played
0: 13 games at FSU, so what? Maybe not even. I think you might have missed a game with an injury. So –
4: yeah. And you had Jared Verse with two seasons at Florida state put yeah. in great numbers. He's going to be higher on selection in the NFL who like doesn't really matter. Um, and that is, you know, the double edged sword of the transfer portal and everything kind of going on with college football. I, I, I personally, uh, have enjoyed the transfer portal. We've had a lot of great players come through the transfer portal, uh, at USF. Um, so I'm okay with it. It's something you gotta live by. The thing that's probably most shocking to me, and probably the biggest um, endorsement of the culture, and I know this is, you know, the Black Boy Roundtable and everything. We'll talk about it and Pop by the Bay too. But there's like no significant opt-outs or like transfers out of USF prior to their bowl game, and there still really hasn't been that many. It's sad to say, uh, important transfers out of USF. I think. By and large, if you went – I mean, the national media, after that Boca Bowl game, glowing reviews for head coach Alice Golish and what USF has been able to do. I think if you're, like, outside of maybe whoever wins the national title, it's probably going to be like, all right, they had the best bowl season. USF is top five. Bowl. <laughs> like They did oh, a fantastic definitely. job. So, yeah.
0: The biggest blowout in bowl history.
4: It it really, right. Um, yeah, biggest shutout win, biggest
0: shutout win, biggest win shut in out, yeah.
4: Time. I think Georgia may have taken care of the uh, biggest that's uh, true,
1: yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't even the biggest yeah. in December,
1: all right. I uh, right. I was watching the uh, the Oregon uh, Liberty game and in, in, the, in the comfort of a uh, cruise ship and uh, listening to the announcers talking about Bo Nix in that game, one of them said something kind of interesting because we hear like basically all this over and over again about the guys opting out and Bodnex obviously played in that game and did extremely well but the big thing that they kept on saying the entire time was this doesn't really affect Bodnex's draft stock like nothing that he does against liberty is going to affect his draft stock he threw for five touchdowns um you know set this uh in that game was able to secure like the completion percentage uh in a season record uh that he took from mac jones like all this stuff like it was it was basically for his own accolades to get you know the most touchdowns from oregon and and you know hit the record books and do a few things but they were almost shaming him for choosing to play in the game which i thought was kind of weird uh knowing what we know and knowing how some of the media reacts to this they were kind of like oh like i'm surprised bo nix is You know, playing at this point, they have a 30 point lead. Oh, I'm so surprised he, you know, is, is playing at this point and everything. And it was just like, you know, we, we spent the entire off or the entire lead up to these games saying like, Oh, are these guys opting in? Are these guys opting out? Do they have a, you know, enough skin in the game or anything like that? And then a guy goes out there, you know, plays, plays for fun. Essentially is what he did. And uh, they were kind of like, why would Bo Nix do this? Why would he do this? Like, he has no reason to be out here risking injury, blah, blah, blah. It's like, the guy just likes to play football and wants to have fun. Like, did and he do that? O-
0: Oregon was an interesting case. So Jeff Schwartz, um, member of the media, played at Oregon, huge, big into Oregon. Uh, he said there were so many Oregon guys were playing and not opting out that he reached out to people to see if it was part of those guys' NIL deals because he was so shocked that all these guys were playing. So I thought that was interesting and they said no it's not part of their deals they just want to play. So Nick look like you want to say something.
2: And it goes back to what you what Nate, you were saying kind of mentioning with USF it's like sometimes with these like transfers or opt-outs it's kind of a it, it's kind of a window into the particular culture of a particular program at the time like okay like if you see like if you see a bunch of a bunch of dudes um choosing to stick or like actually stick around you that's a good sign it's like okay everyone is mostly bought in like yeah you're gonna have transfers and like people leaving out but if you can if you're in these days if you're able to like get these kids up and motivated for again like what we've deemed meaningless bowl games even the fiesta bowl now it's like okay Dan landing you have something good going with that where like all of these dudes just still want to stick around and play. So that's, that's an interesting thing to kind of keep track of moving forward.
0: I think it also goes back to like, what's like, not just the cult, but what's, what's your motivation? What's with the carrot you've got for your team? Mm-hmm. And Florida States was all those guys came, they had a bunch of guys come back, like verse came back. He could have been in the draft last year. A bunch of guys come in, their goal was playoff and that was the carrot they were holding out in front of them all year. And as soon as that's gone, it's kind of like okay we, but like usf their goal is trying to lay a good foundation to have the program come back so finishing off the season on a high note is a big part of that so like right i think that's a big part of it too kind of what how have you been motivating your team ohio state's probably a similar one like you know yeah lose to michigan you were hoping to be in the playoff you yeah, don't even have everybody popped like out the,
4: like the lower tier uh of things like
3: I th- I would have bet great money
4: Georgia State wouldn't have shown up for their bowl game. I like the way they ended the season, what they lost, what six, five in a row or something like that um, to end the year. Like I would have bet a lot of money that Georgia State was just going to roll over and then they just put a whooping on Utah State. Like I mean, it's it's weird, it's quirky. Um, uh, pro tip: Don't bet on bowl games. I think that's probably like you can maybe live bet kind In-game, of get yeah. The, the in yeah. uh... game bet, don't future bet these bowl games when the the games are announced. Um, it, uh, it it's a total crapshoot. We uh, like we'll talk about it on Paul by the Bay, but we kind of figured Syracuse was maybe going to be cashed. You know, just checked out a little bit interim head coach, they're on like their fourth quarterback to the tight end. Like it was not great. The surrounding part of the program, what Fran Brown's been able to do in the transfer portal and recruiting, great. But currently as it stands, they just weren't in a good spot. And USF was able to absolutely take advantage of that. So I wish there was a better answer. Uh, but I think this is going to be the future unless, as so that you mentioned, Kind of tying in their NIL contracts to like, hey, you got to play all the games yeah. that you're able to play, like you're able-bodied, and the team scheduled for, yeah, um, to get, or you know, there's a you know a penalty, and I, I think th- with the way college football is going and how, as you mentioned, how transactional it is, that's probably your best bet to have quote unquote competitive games in non-playoff ball games where. You know, sometimes teams just don't even care. It's a it's a it's a free trip for some of these kids, and that's about it.
0: Yeah, and there had been some talk about you know, and I think we're we we see it from a totally uh, maybe not a totally different perspective, but this year really keeps this part of it fresh in our mind because there's been talk about uh, make them spring make the bowl games spring games or make them exhibition make them the first game of the next season, right? I mean, we watch guys that have been USF for six years get to play in their first bowl game right like that was a big deal and if you moved it to the exhibition the next year or the spring game those guys don't get to play and that's like that now it's totally not college football and it's not a bowl. it's just some it becomes something different at that point so
3: um any final thoughts or are we ready to move on to the playoff Let's do it. <laughs> all right, let's, let's move on. We had two pretty good. All right, first, first question: Were you,
0: did everyone here? I, not including Steve, did everyone here stay up and watch the game on Monday night?
4: I, I fell it? asleep after Washington went up by like ten, and it like it was like twelve oh five. I was like, I've got to go to bed. I've got work in the morning. I I crashed. You so almost see. I didn't almost see missed one the all-time been... yak jobs. <laughs> yes, I had a group chat going with a, some friends, and they're like, oh my god, this is is this going to happen? It's this is the biggest job I've ever seen, and uh, oh, thank God. Well,
0: let's we'll start with that game. Um, big, I mean, you could say that watching them were was choked away, but Texas had two drives inside the twenty, and if they come away with a touchdown on either one, they probably win the game right? Definitely the last one, but the first one, if they can score a touchdown on that drive, now they only got to get a field goal to win, uh, on the next one. They've had problems in the red zone all year. And it kind of came back to bite them in that game. I thought, and I thought Sark was going to have something dialed up there. And it was just like, we're going to throw a fade. <laughs> <to add laughs> and night Mitchell, And not a terrible call, but you know, if that's what you want to call, maybe I'd just call that four times in a row. And maybe you get one, like, it seemed like Texas had a chance, chances in the game, but every time Washington was able to seem to make the big play.
2: What really surprised me about the game is how little of impact of Sweat and Byron Murphy had to the point where, like there was a point in the second half where they were like kind of out of the game and it's like, are they hurt? Is Sweat hurt? Like what's what's going on here? Because the thing is, I, I picked Texas – because mainly I thought like, okay, Washington, like Washington, they won the Joe Moore Award for their offensive line. But I thought like, okay, still it's <laughs> Devondre sweat. The dude's a monster. Like they're gonna eventually start to wear, wear down and eventually get pressure. And they did not, like the entire game, Washington was able to basically do what they want. And it helps when you have three NFL caliber receivers. Cause man, those like those guys. Like those guys are super talented, like across the board. And people were talking about it, and it's crazy to think about this receiver room, and to also think that at one point Puka Nakua was also part of this receiver room as well a couple years ago. Just unbelievable talent on on the offensive side of the ball in that team.
0: Yeah, Jimmy Lake just got fired again (laughs) (laughs) for just uh, for that. It's I, I tell you, like. Texas was able to get in the back it a little bit, but Penix was just the dude. This is why I think, and we'll talk about Michigan and how they gave Alabama some fits. He sees things so quickly and he processes so quickly. Um, like he gets the ball out of his hands fast. And he's, I mean, he was dropping them. Like you couldn't have handed them off any better on some of these throws that are 40 yards down the field. He was on it. Um, and if he plays like that, we're going to have a great national championship. game, Nathan, we we had a little story about Michael Penix that was making the rounds during the game. And I'm sure we'll be putting that out again this week. But uh, what did you think of the performance by Tampa zone?
4: Yeah. Um, I mean, it's what we've seen from him for, I, I mean, essentially his entire college, college and high school football playing career. The dude just can basically dot up any team he wants. And Nick, as you mentioned, three top tier receivers uh doesn't hurt. Uh, but the the total command and control of an offense, you don't really see that too often. Uh what year two of an offense, like this guy, he he did everything asked of him, and the the, the only you know issue I had is like late in the second half, like selling for the field goals was kind of brutal for for Washington, I think what three of the last four possessions ended in field goal attempts. Um, I don't know if that's going to be good enough, but you know, Michigan can run the ball a little bit. We'll see, you know, I know Washington's edge rushers are very, very good. And I know I'm jumping ahead, but like kind of forwarding yeah. what we saw against Texas with a pretty stout defensive line, what can we see against the, you know, Michigan team? That's you know they're really Probably good better. on defense. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of what Michael Pennix Jr. And, and the team uh, can do. And then if uh, their running back is kind of dinged up, I know he's going to play. Injury. So
0: we'll see. As of, yeah. As of now he's playing. I mean, Nathan, when you give the kicker a scholarship, you got to make him earn it a little bit. You know, you got to put him out there. I, I Steve, so. Steve, what were your impressions of, we'll kind of use this to kind of get your impressions on both kind of playoff games. You know, what were your thoughts on Washington, Texas? And then get into uh, We'll start talking Alabama, Michigan. Cause I, I think we've got, we kind of covered Washington, Texas. And it was kind of just the Michael Penick show.
1: Yeah. No, I watched the first half of the, uh, the Washington, Texas game. Um, yeah. It, I, I thoroughly enjoyed watching Washington for whatever reason. Um, I know we talked about, um, Ironman Sweat, uh, not having much of an impact, but it seemed like in the first half that Washington just, if they didn't throw it deep to like Rome or one of their other stud receivers, uh, they're running it right at Byron and sweat. Like they had two plays in their playbook. It was run it straight at the two biggest dudes on that defensive line or throw it to one of our elite NFL wide receivers. And you can guess which ones ended up paying off uh, for the, for the Huskies there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it was, it was good. Classic. Like it, it felt like watching when like Cam Newton kind of took over for Auburn for a little bit there. Um, You know, I I think it was Bud mentioned the the blue chip ratio and how Washington is outside of that blue chip ratio, but they have, you know, a a stud quarterback to kind of carry them uh, into this. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch because you can see how much they rely on him, but still defensively, you know, they held their own. They, they, they created havoc. They, you know, had big plays here and there. So, Overall, uh, fun game. Uh, much better than the Alabama-Michigan game, in my opinion.
0: I, I think they were both. Uh, to me, I think I tweeted out during the Alabama-Michigan game that like, the next game is going to look like a different sport. But I, I enjoyed the Alabama-Michigan game. I thought it was um, – I thought Michigan. Really, now Alabama was able to kind of recover. But I just don't think offensively Alabama ever really had a great plan shocking uh (laughs) the kind of tommy reese hire um did pretty well for most of the year but i thought he was pretty bad in this game um and i thought michigan had a really great plan on both sides of the ball and kind of out coach alabama bama made some
3: halftime adjustments but harbaugh and his staff were dealing
2: I thought I, I it was frustrating like watching, but the thing is, it was frustrating watching Michigan in this game because there was a there were points where I felt that they could have really just uh, ran Alabama, well, not necessarily run Alabama off the field, but they could have definitely pulled away or established some uh, or established some. Um, Separation and they, and there were certain instances where they just kept screwing around. Like, there was a point in the second half where they're moving the ball and then they kind of kill their drive because they bring in the backup Alex Orgy. And I forget, he either throws an incomplete pass or runs. he
0: like runs out of bounds.
2: Yeah. And it's yeah, instead kind of throwing big. it away. And then there's a couple other instances where you're moving the ball, you're in plus territory, and then you decide to break out a flea flicker and it's like, why, dude, like, you're, like, you are gashing this, like, you're gashing this defense, just keep running the football, and it, it ne- and it nearly got away from them in the fourth quarter, where it got to that point where it's like, okay, they're, they're kind of done, this is where it's kind of, uh, this is kind of where it ends for Michigan, but they put on their big boy pants in the last four minutes of the game, get the touchdown, tie it, and obviously, like, the Quorum had an amazing performance, amazing touchdown in overtime. But yeah, just kind of a entertaining game nonetheless, just kind of weird. I, I felt like both teams had opportunities to at various points in the second half to kind of estab- like really establish themselves and didn't really do it.
0: Yeah, and you know, it was interesting to see kind of Michigan totally dominate. I thought, you know, and th- this is something we saw in Tampa when Alabama came to Ray J. Not a great pass blocking team when, they, when they're releasing everybody out in a route. Like USF diced up their pass protection, and they decided to come out against what many people think is the best defensive line in the country and go empty a ton, and they got whipped. It seemed like when they would run the ball downhill, they'd be all right, but they just continually tried to drop back and release five guys in the route. And Jalen Milrow is not Michael Penix. So they did not have a great time. So I, I was really kind of surprised with Alabama's plan. Now maybe they respected Michigan so much they didn't think they could, we could we're not going to be able to just sit and run the ball at them the whole game. But you know I thought it was a it, it was a, a fun schematic game. It was sloppy at times, obviously, but you know I think in the end the better team ended up winning. What I thought Alabama was going to sneak one out, it really felt like Saban had just done enough. And they just did enough to sneak it out. But Nathan, what do you, what were your thoughts on that Alabama Michigan game? It was, I thought, an elite aesthetic matchup. Alabama, Michigan in the Rose Bowl is about as good as it gets just from a look standpoint. I do have to say that.
4: Yeah, uh cool atmosphere. Um I think if any I think we probably all listened to Split Zone Duo, uh Steve Godfrey just sent this straight the Rose Bowl for uh basically holding college football hostage for 30 years essentially um but it, it was it was a cool game uh the thing you talked about kind of the, the switching of the quarterback i think michigan went down and scored on their first or second drive and then the immediate following possession uh for michigan was like a first down with the other quarterback for like a three-yard gain it just it was like you just kind of diced up this Alabama defense for, for a, a really easy, you know, pitching catch from JJ McCarthy to Blake Warren. Um, and you're doing that. I don't know. It just, it, it was, it was weird. Um, Jim Milrow still the best quarterback at Alabama. Um, I mean, USF made one of their quarterbacks quit, uh, football altogether. <laughs> Like they didn't really have an option. It it's so weird seeing Alabama over the last what eight years, they've had really competent quarterbacks. And then it's kind of back to what they were like in the Greg McElroy era of uh, just being game managers and like they're not even there yet. Um so that that was an interesting uh Kind of turn of events, and then God bless that final play.
3: Yeah, like it th-
0: theoretically did it have a chance to work if the snap's better. Yeah, but like it's not your best chance. Like
4: that's your that's your go that's, winning like that's my that's, my, your, my, that's your grave digger. Play? Yeah, my my thing grave was like, and then you do that.
0: It's at the three yard line. What's your best two point play? Run it. Run your top two two point plays, two plays in a row, and win the game. And instead. That's where, like, when Alabama was not the juggernaut at quarterback, when they weren't leading the had the elite quarterback guys, when they were best, they had like Lane Kiffin as the OC, a guy that's kind of creative and does some interesting things. When they had like Sims and Coker, and I don't think Reese has that is quite as creative. Um, you know, it wasn't a terrible plan, but I thought that he made it a lot tougher on them than it. Could have been and came
2: back to bite him. So I, it, it, it just, it just hit me. Like they look like a, they look like a Notre Dame team. Better. <laughs> they, they look like a Notre Dame team. Like your, your quarterback is all right I, I, at best. Your receivers are good, but not great. You rely on your run game a bit too much. Like it makes, it makes sense. <laughs> so and now
0: it, in Saban's, in Saban's favor, he did try to throw the bag at Ryan Grubb from Washington, and he said, no, I'm going to stay with my boy, Devore," and I think it's probably working out for him. Um, so we've got a Michigan
3: and Washington final. What do you guys think on that? Like, I, To me, there were times where when Alabama did
0: go empty and they did put five guys out, Michigan got there. But they also Alabama had guys open, quick and short that Milrow couldn't see, or didn't didn't see it fast enough. I think Pinnick sees that, like Pinnick sees it fast enough. He understands where those guys are. So can Washington kind of keep that pass rush at bay a little bit, and 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 Pinnick like kind of thinks quick enough that they can get those guys out in the route, or is it Michigan's going to dominate up front? What are you guys thinking, kind of Michigan defense versus Washington offense? Because I. Th-
3: I guess that's kind of the premium matchup, even though the other side is probably where the game's going to be decided.
1: I feel like every time we get into the situation of elite offense versus elite defense, that elite defense, especially with the time to prepare and everything, usually comes out on top, mm-hmm. um, which isn't fun. Because <laughs> because everyone wants the high flying offense, and uh, Michigan's offense is frankly kind of boring at times. So um, yeah, I just I for me, I hope that both teams score at least thirty points. That would be a successful national championship for me.
0: Let me see. What is do you know off the top of your head, Nick? What the over under is set at?
3: i look right now on. Drafting sports mobility. 55 and a half. All right. So yeah, I could
2: see the over hitting easily in that. Because like Michigan can score. Like it's like their offense may kind of be reductive with J Jamparthy a bit, but they they can score and get some momentum. Um that Alabama
0: defense, like the Alabama team, I don't think this year was traditionally as good as past Alabama teams that defense was really good and Michigan at times moved the ball right down the field on that team so I think Michigan's offense and like if you look at metrically they're pretty efficient so yeah they're not they're not as bad as I think sometimes it feels to the eye because people only watch them in the big games where they're not trying to do too much but go ahead Nick I interrupted interrupt
2: you oh no you're good um Right now, like right now, I'm kind of leaning towards Washington here just because we look at the Michigan secondary and outside of Ohio State, man, they just haven't they haven't faced this level of like they haven't faced this level of receiver talent like all year long. And if there's one thing, Washington's going to man those torpedoes. They're they're going to like they're going to fire it off. Like if you if you have Rome over here, double okay, cool. We have Jalen Polk and Jalen McMillan right over here. Pick your poison, and that, and I, I just don't, I just don't think they they'll have an answer for all three. And even if, and even if their pass rush can uh, get gain some momentum, like Penix can get the ball out of his hands really quickly. I, I, so it, I may, I may change my opinion over the next couple of over the next couple of days, over the weekend here. But right now I'm leaning towards Washington, man. They're, and the thing about Washington is whether it's like a high-scoring game or an ugly game, they've kind of figured out a way to land the plane in all of these games, whether they're up or down. They just, they just figure it out, man.
0: they played, what is it, nine straight games within 10 points now? Most ever, <laughs> most consecutive. What do, I mean, what do you think, Nate? What do you think about this matchup?
4: my old adage who has the better quarterback and it's far and away is Washington and frankly they've had to go through a tougher slate of games than Michigan has all season like you're telling me like Rutgers and like Purdue or, or you know really hard games for Michigan they haven't had to they haven't had to do much on offense because the rest of the Big Ten also sucks on offense. I think like, they're
0: – but I think that means they're holding some – they've got some stuff they're holding back. You think? <laughs> Somebody's uh, – a Ohio State player said they saw a coverage for Michigan they would never seen on – like they held a coverage for them this year. Like, Harbaugh's a maniac. I, I think – I would not be shocked if he's got something he's been holding back waiting. But I – I do think that, like you said, the better quarterback is in Washington.
4: Like, it's – I don't know. I, I I find it really hard to see, like, even if Washington puts up, like, 28. Like I, I just don't see this Michigan offense being able to do that. Like, their offense is not great. They're good enough to get them to the national championship game, absolutely. But that's basically it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think they're going to be able to run the ball in Washington. So it, it's, it's kind of a styles make fights to me. Like if Washington can get up and now Michigan's got to throw a ton. Like you said earlier, Washington's got some guys on the edge that can go. But, you know, Michigan will try is going to try to get downhill on them, I think. And if they can control the clock and control the pace of the game, they're definitely – that's not something that a Jim Harbaugh team is averse to doing. Steve, what do you think?
1: I'm going to be honest. I've been paying so hard attention to the USF Women's Basketball game right now. So I've not been paying attention at all.
0: What are you thinking? What are you thinking on this <laughs> on this final? Um, I know you said you think good defense beats good offense here. You think it's going to be Michigan?
1: Yeah, I just every time I I've seen this song and dance way too many times for me to confidently say that you know. It, as much as I enjoy Washington's offense this Michigan defense just seems like it's, it's a team of destiny right now. Um, although the, the destiny would really just fall into, you know, the PAC 12 winning the last national championship uh, as their conference. So that'd be a fun storyline. Uh, but yeah, it just, it, to me, it just seems like Michigan has been rolling all year. It seems like whenever they're faced up into a challenge like this, where they have these, these, you know, threats of receiver, they're able to, to keep them at bay um, to the best of their ability. But you still have the Michael Penix factor, which is uh, the fun factor, and uh, so I, I, I'm going to probably teeter back and forth on this for about like uh, 25 minutes, and then I'm going to come to a conclusion, and uh, it'll probably be Michigan winning.
0: All right. Who do you, last question? We'll get out of here. Who do you guys want to win? What's the better story, Washington? Washington, the non-like <laughs> outside the top 20 or outside the top 15 recruiter. Um, them winning the final year of the Pac-12, Pac-12 getting a winner in the final year, or Harbaugh, who is a maniac, but you know le- left the NFL, even though he's tried to go back several times, to his alma mater, kind of a similar thing, not an elite recruiter, but an upper-level one, getting them over the hump to win a national championship. There, it, this would be their first non-disputed national championship in forever, right, Nick? I think you tweeted that out or wrote, wrote that up.
2: Yeah, because last um, outright national championship Michigan has won was uh, nineteen (laughs) forty eight. So, and then it's it's interesting. Well, so I also tweeted out like this is this is a pretty interesting matchup because it's kind of refreshing because both teams haven't won since before even the BCS. Both teams last won their half a national title back in the nineties. So it's been quite a minute for uh, both programs. So that'll be pretty cool to see either or. Um, I think I, it would be cool to see Washington. It will be bitters- obviously bittersweet that, of course, that the Pac-12 has been irrelevant by, throughout the entire playoff era. And then the one year where they actually have a fantastic season across the board, like an entertaining season with multiple great top 15 teams, They produce a national championship and then the conference dies. So that sucks. But for Washington, that's pretty cool. Like they're pretty cool and like kind of slept on power program up there in the Pacific Northwest. So I'd like to see them get the victory here.
3: Yeah, Nathan, what about you? (sighs) There's like...
4: Two like diverging paths, right? Because I think Michigan just having an absolute fu to the NCAA and winning a national title would be hilarious. But then there's also like Michael Penix Jr. winning, which would be really cool for Tampa, and also like just an fu to the Pac-12 president of how could you let this happen? This is your fault
3: and i i think i think i'm going to pick
4: washington just based solely off of michael Penny junior and my devotion to uh, making sure everybody knows that sterling gilbert is an absolute fuckboy and a terrible person and a terrible coach and human being um i've heard he kicks puppies um allegedly so allegedly
3: hmm. um so like god bless i mean
0: I mean, you think you guys think Michael Penix Jr. is good. Just imagine if he was right-handed. Think how good he would be then. Yeah, I, I think Washington's the more fun story just because it's somebody outside of the normal kind of upper tier would be interesting. And, like, they're going into the Big Ten. Makes the Big Ten a little bit more competitive, I think, when you can say, hey, we got a national championship here, like, they can help help their recruiting make that a little bit more competitive there as well. Uh, but I think it's going to be a really good game. So
2: and then we'll see it and then we'll see it next year cuz Michigan will Yeah, I think Michigan goes to Washington next year. So kind of rare to see like a national championship rematch in the regular season unless it's like one of those weird like LSU versus Alabama years or whatever, but but that'll be cool.
0: Yeah, and I think this is The first playoff final since the first one, which is kind of interesting. The first one was Ohio State, Oregon. You had uh, Pac 12, Big 10. And the last one is Washington, Michigan, Pac 12, Big 10. I I think these are the only two that didn't feature a team from the South. So interesting uh, symmetry there. So Um, that's it for for uh, this week. Four
4: FCS and FBS teams from above the Mason Dixon line. I know uh, in, the ch- in the title
3: games. Yeah,
0: the players aren't, but yes, the teams, <laughs> are. <laughs> the teams are. Yeah, all right, uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of the Blog Boy Roundtable. We'll be back to take a look back at the national championship game. Maybe, we may even talk. You know, we may talk a little Montana, a little South Dakota State, the national championship game. That's that's coming up as well. So we'll be back OG next week. <laughs> there you go. We'll be back next week to talk some more college football, recap the season, get into the off season a little bit. Thank you for watching.